We sit glued to the TV set all night And every night Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright We got nothing better to do Than watch TV and have a couple of... Welcome to TV Times 3, episode 131. Today we have a couple of news items, and then we will be discussing the series premiere of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, the third season finale of Justified, recent episode of Suburgatory, Fringe, and Mad Men, and then also the series premiere of Girls. Uh, you can find the full show notes with time codes for each segment at tvtimes3.com slash 131. I'm Jason the TVaholic from tvaholic.com, and this week I have joining me... Uh, Corey Barker. I am a graduate student in the Department of Popular Culture, Bowling Green State University, and uh, amateur TV critic, I guess, at uh, tvsurveillance.com. I'm Todd Vanderwerf. Uh, I am the TV editor at the AV Club, and uh, Kurt Sutter called me a nasty name. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can swear on this program, but it, 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 was, it was really terrifying and, and horrifying. I'm, I'm, I assume that everyone will know exactly what that <laughs> yeah. nasty name was. Yeah. Hey, I think we, we all have uh, exactly uh, what that was. Okay, so... Uh, since it's the first time uh, I've had uh, each of you on the show, uh, we usually ask the first-time guests a, a little to talk a little bit about what it is about uh, writing about TV, being a TV critic, or in Corey's case, studying uh, pop culture, and why you uh, podcast. So if, uh, Corey, you could go first. Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, I'm, I'm a graduate student. I'm just finishing up my master's in popular culture. Um, and I've focused on television, and then I'm going on uh, for my PhD in the fall. I, I guess I'm not really sure exactly what happened, but when I was an undergrad, um, I was doing a lot of newspaper reporting and that kind of fun stuff, um, and did a lot of kind of media coverage, and just started, as I moved up the ranks, I guess, at the college newspaper, I started focusing more on television, and at the same time, I happened to be taking um, a few kind of classes that focused on television in a more kind of academic or kind of cultural studies context and the two kind of just came together and uh opened my eyes to kind of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to you know write about um you know so obviously I, I started a website and kind of did various things in college um and had a podcast there um and then once I kind of graduated I moved it um moved it over to kind of a personal website and uh, it's just kind of gone from there I guess cool uh I I guess I, I write about TV because people pay me to. Um, <laughs> it's the best no, reason. <laughs> like, uh, I, 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 I started writing about TV because I've always been fascinated by the medium. And uh, I always I always kind of wanted to be a critic. And it, it seemed like the – it seemed like it was easier to break into than film criticism. Um, and uh, I just – it just – you know, I, I enjoy watching television. I enjoy thinking about how it works. I enjoy – I enjoy like – I enjoy – thinking about like the structure of television more than I enjoy thinking about like, was this good or was this bad? And, and, uh, internet TV criticism allows for, you know, some really nerdy ways to do that. Um, and as far as why I podcast, uh, it's because my wife and I think we're funny and like nobody else does, <laughs> but, but this gives us, I do. well, thank you, Corey. Thank you. This gives us an outlet, uh, every, every three to six weeks. Um, this gives us an outlet to to make some some silly jokes uh, about you know Mad Men or Game of Thrones or what have you. So the same reason that I podcast in. Yes, absolutely. 
Okay, so uh, we'll have uh, links in the show notes where you can find Corey and Todd and their podcasts. And once again, you can find the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 131. So next up, we've got uh, just a couple of uh, news items from the last week. A couple of things from Fox. Fox has renewed Hell's Kitchen for two more seasons. So if you're a Hell's Kitchen fan, you've got two more of those coming your way. And Fox has pulled Breaking In from the schedule and replaced it with New Girl repeats, which I'm kind of disappointed at. Uh, either of you watch either of those? What? Um, I am honestly, like, where was Breaking In still airing? Because I thought now that Glee was back, it was Glee and then New Girl and then Raising Hope. Yeah, well, Raising Hope uh, this week is the season finale. Oh, right, right, right. And so right. I think Breaking In was supposed to take that time that time slot for the rest of the season to finish out its episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was going to come back. And so before it even actually started airing in that time slot, they pulled it from that time slot. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not I'm not a big Breaking In fan. I mean, I'm not the world's biggest New Girl fan, but I, I prefer it to Breaking In. Um, I prefer both to I Hate My Teenage Daughter. Um, <laughs> so I, I suppose this is preferable to that. Uh, it, I don't know. You know, it seems so bizarre that the show is renewed in the first place. Uh, it, it, it just was – we were just waiting for Fox to pull it from the schedule again. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it, it doesn't surprise me, and um, I guess I would rather watch New Girl repeats than Breaking In if I was going to watch either. Yeah, I think it's basically uh, if you like the show Breaking In, just be happy that they filmed 26 episodes of it in between yeah, the two I, seasons. I mean, I I guess I kind of like the show. I, I liked the show a little bit more last season, and this year it just seemed like – I mean, the circumstances around it coming back were weird enough, but just the way – that they had to, you know, obviously streamline the cast to cut money, but at the same time, then they brought in new people, and so the changes just seemed like changes for changing sake, and it became this. It the show that it was in the first season wasn't really the show that it is was now. Yeah, um, and it became it became trying to be this sort of zany workplace comedy, even more so than in the first season. And it was, I mean, I've seen every episode this season, but I can't really say why <laughs> you're just hoping that it was, it would show you something from last season yeah, yeah part I of mean, that is that it was you know since it was actually canceled and it went past the time where they actually had contracts on everybody they once they did bring it back they a couple a couple of people they didn't have access to really yeah. for the rest of the season so they had to make some changes to it but i still think it's funny that they basically brought it back because they were in a bidding war for the creator of this show's some other show of his and they were like if you if you come over with you know your show uh, your your new show we'll also pick up breaking in for another season and then <laughs> you know, so that's i just think that's that's sort of funny even though it didn't really ever have a chance uh, yeah it wasn't like they they kind of had any promotional push whatsoever for it when they brought it back for season 2 i mean they put it after new girl but you wouldn't have really known that by watching Fox on any day of the week other than Tuesday and just having to have your TV on after New Girl. I feel like the week 
the week they brought it back, they promoted the whole block fairly well because, like, Raising Hope did a surprisingly good number that week. It just, yeah, I think that they ran it as Breaking In is back, and and everyone was like, Breaking <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, I just, I always felt like you know how like all USA dramas feel about ten minutes too long. This mm. honestly felt like like a USA drama that was ten minutes too short. It just, I don't know. It maybe like there needs to be this this like thirty five minute long slot that all of these shows would fit into perfectly it, it just it didn't ever it seemed too chaotic to me yeah and, and that was definitely a big problem with the first season and then in the second season they didn't i mean their job completely didn't even matter at all in this season it yeah. was constantly just kind of zany workplace stuff with megan mullally being you know kind of megan mullally and you know Christian Slater doing his thing and there wasn't you know there a couple there was one episode where they were supposed to kind of do a case or whatever and it was like five seconds later it was like already over and obviously that's a budgetary thing but I mean that's what I mean like it wasn't even the show that it was in the first season they were just constantly kind of like doing yeah when are you gonna actually test some uh (laughs) test some security when are you actually gonna you know do a job or something yeah yeah so I think that's enough uh I think that's enough about uh, breaking in, since you may see the rest of the episodes at some point this summer or sometime. Yeah. But uh, we'll uh, move on to our uh, primetime segment, uh, covering uh, some shows that aired between Monday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 15th. And the the first show we have on the list is Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, Season 1, Episode 1, The Pilot. So what did you think about uh, Apartment 23? We'll start Go with ahead, the, Todd. Yeah, we'll start with Todd this time. Oh God, um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I podcasted about this way last summer. Um, I, I kind of, I mostly enjoyed it. You know, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting show. Um, I feel like Dreamer Walker's character is not as well realized as some of the others, uh, but I don't know that you could do a show that was just Kristen Ritter and. Um, James Vanderbeek hanging out and you know talking about stuff. Um, I think that it's a show that it definitely has sort of the energy of a live action cartoon, which makes sense since its, it's uh, developer creator was um, has a background in American Dad. I, I just I feel like it needs to embrace that more. Like if it became even more wacky and zany, I, I think it would be uh, a, a, a better show. I just, there's so many shows about like young people living in the city right now that you need to either have a really distinctive voice or you need to do something really different. And I, I don't know if this show is that, although I like Kristen Ritter and, and, and James Vanderbeek. So I'll, I'll stick around for a little while at least. Yeah. I, I'm, I really, I, I, I like the pilot. I'm, I'm curious to see in future episodes, how they balance Kristen Ritter's characters kind of, person i guess her you know her bitchiness if you will because in the pilot obviously you know she's kind of a mega bitch until she's not you know like at the very end um and even then obviously she still has an edge to her but i mean i'm really interested to see how they kind of balance that formula moving forward where she kind of terrorizes dreamer walker's character for 17 minutes and then the last five they sort of come to an agreement so i'll be interested to see kind of how they calibrate that character moving forward yeah i was Watching the the pilot episode for the first time, I found the stuff about James Vanderbeek and you know the sort of sight gags and jokes around his career and stuff like that to be really funny, and to be the only parts of the show that I really laughed at. And so at the end of it, I was like, well, I did laugh a few times, but can you really 
make fun of James Vanderbeek for 22 episodes, like if he did a full season, because that was the only part I found funny. At least in the second episode, I did see some of where they can go with James Vanderbeek and making fun of the, the sort of version of himself that he's playing and that there is potential for comedy besides that. Uh, so I was happy to see that. But I think from just the pilot, I was like, uh, where, <laughs> how many more Dawson's Creek jokes can you, can you make and them continue to be funny, you know, five episodes from now? They definitely need to figure out a way to diversify him like uh, the How I Met Your Mother creators did with Barney. Um, and to be fair, there, the How I Met Your Mother creators were starting out with Barney is very different from anything Neil Patrick Harris had played before. But they played off of Neil Patrick Harris's image and uh, sort of sort of subverted it. And then they did interesting things with Barney throughout the first season. You know, the, the, uh, the Don't Trust the, the Bee... And Apartment 23 creators are kind of backed into a corner by having to deal with the fact that this is the actual James Vanderbeek. And I, I don't know how it's going to work long term. It's, it's one of those things where it would work in a movie, but I'm not sure it would work on TV. But I, I definitely, as far as degree of difficulty is concerned, I'd definitely like to see them pull it off. Um, there's a lot of people I like in this, and there's a lot of people I like writing on it. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it could be a really good show if they just sort of iron out some of their more obvious issues. Well, I know – I vaguely remember hearing that at a certain point in the show, I think Vanderbeek is going to be on Dancing with the Stars um, because I remember hearing – seeing a cast notice. I think Dean Kane is going to be on the show like playing himself and they're going to have you know, a little tension on the Dancing with the Stars set. So I don't know how that kind of plays in to the actual show and how that will kind of balance those kind of Vanderbeekian elements. But I – I know that they're they're really that's like the only thing I've heard about this show um, since you know it being picked up at last spring and it, it's it's interesting that you know he's kind of the third lead but that's the one thing that everybody keeps talking about the one thing that even just kind of the stories that I've been hearing about future episodes are about so yeah well yeah like in the second episode he decides that he's going to teach a class uh, about acting yeah but everybody that shows up to the class just wants to hear him do. Dawson's Creek monologues. I, I don't blame them. <laughs> and so with that, I think they they can expand around and, you know, playing with bringing other people in to play, you know, sort of in that same, like Dean Kane or, you know, sort of that yeah. same thing it was sort of the heartthrob at one point, you know, in their career. Uh, I think they can play off that sort of celebrity element. I'm interested to see how much more they could do because they definitely have to expand out to, you know, even if they're you're putting him up, you know, like on a Dancing with the Stars or, you know, even fictionalizing his future, you know, acting thing, you know, acting career or whatever, but still working with his past. Uh, I think after the second episode, I was, I was a little better off on that there is potential there and not just uh, Vanderbeek jokes. But so I think uh, I think we all sound like we're kind of uh, in a similar place and we'll be sticking with it at least for a few more episodes to see what they do with it i've i've seen i've seen three and i don't think they've quite figured out their dream walker is it doesn't feel like a strong center to this show problem um but i i, I agree with you in that there's an interesting way in playing with celebrity cameos uh, like like i said it, it could be a live action cartoon and um like you know family guy they'll frequently have people come in and say oh there's james woods or there's so and so, yeah, or like The Simpsons or something like that, where they, 
Yeah. And I mean, there's certainly that's been going on since the days of I Love Lucy, but I think there is a postmodern ironic way to do it. And, and this show could be the, the one to sort of nail that down outside of an animated setting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's uh, move on to the next show on our list is Justified Season 3, Episode 13, uh, Slaughterhouse, the season finale. So what did you think of uh, this season of Justified and uh, the season finale? I, I guess I'll start this time since uh, Todd took the last one. Um, you son of a bitch. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I actually just watched it. I've uh, been had all sorts of things to do, so I've actually I just watched the last two or three episodes today. I had fallen behind, and it was so sad. I think, obviously, there's been a lot kind of discussed about how this season of Justified has been, you know, different um, than season two, obviously, with, you know, Max being gone and kind of the heights of season two. I think season three was always going to have it a little, you know, kind of have an up, upward um, battle just because of perceptions of what season two was. And I think at times in season three, I was a little, not concerned, but I was just um, very curious to see kind of what was going to happen and why things were happening the way that they were. But by the time that it got to the last three or four episodes, I mean, I think that they pulled it together really nicely. And I think that the the season finale, although it wasn't kind of even as you know, explosive as the season one finale or even as obviously kind of emotionally wrenching as last season's finale, it did a lot of great things, especially in the second half. It just seemed to kind of one scene after another kept building and it wasn't it wasn't, you know, as obvious or even as loud as the last two finales, but um it was still very, very effective. Um I I have been sort of I don't want to say down on this season. It hasn't been my favorite season of television um, ever. Season season two of Justified <laughs> was so good that it was it was going to be tough to live up to. But I, I just felt like this season kind of got lost in the weeds in some places and probably introduced one or two too many plot elements. That said, I I think you can make a strong argument that uh, that Slaughterhouse is the best episode the show's ever made. And, and possibly will ever make. I, I vastly prefer it to the previous two season finales, uh, both of which I had some some fairly significant problems with. And um, I, I just think it's a really strong emotional uh, – it, it restores the emotional core to the show that the season was sort of lacking. It gives it – in retro, it retroactively gives the season a thematic depth. I'm not sure it aimed or uh, it, it, it earned – but if you look back at the season now, you can say, oh, it was setting us up all of these things for the finale. And that's a lot of weight to put on the ending. But the fact that they pulled it off makes me look at the season more favorably. And I, I imagine like, you know, 10 years from now, I won't remember how irritating some of the like uh, Dickie Bennett plotting was when I'm, I'm thinking back on the fact that this season was about like like found families and, and father figures and and things like that. Yeah, I think the season definitely did didn't have like a smooth arc you know as sort of the last season you know felt a little more of what who was the bad guy and what all was happening but i think it would have been hard to introduce another mags type character to just become like the bad the you know the sort of the the second bad person besides boyd uh, to deal with uh, i think having this multiple thing and ultimately sort of setting up limehouse to possibly be that type of character in the fourth season, I think worked really well. And I think the finale episode was just fantastic in that it wrapped up so many things. 
from him planting the gun from the shooting on on the guy to him realizing that you know his dad had taken thought he was shooting him you know type of stuff there were so many so many things that just all you you're just sort of watching along and you're following along this and all of a sudden in like the last five seven minutes it sort of ties all these things up where you make all these connections and you're like wow that was that was really great that was that was something else to watch yeah there were a lot of moments throughout the season and Todd kind of hinted at this that it, it seemed like they were just I don't know if it was really intentional because they were trying to get away from, you know, trying to separate themselves from season two because people were going to make the comparisons anyway. But it felt like they were kind of just branching out, maybe not too far, but it just it kept kind of going and people kept sort of switching sides and then switching back. And sometimes that's interesting, but a lot of times that can get um, a little, you know, dizzying just because you're not really sure what everybody's loyalties are and why they're doing what they're doing other than the plot kind of dictates that. And it felt like at times that, you know, people were just doing stuff to, to do stuff. But yeah, by the time that that last like five or seven minutes came, it just sort of hits you like a freight train and, and everything sort of falls into place. Um, and yeah, I think I'll be very interested to kind of get the DVDs and kind of go back and see, um, how things play kind of, you know, on a second viewing and especially kind of all at once. But it, it definitely felt like a more satisfying finale by the end of it. Um, even, you know, the first 20 minutes or so, I, I really was enjoying it, but it just, I wasn't sure still kind of like what, why we were kind of going where we were going and what the real point of it was. Um, and then again, it just sort of comes out of nowhere and punches you in the face. And then it again, retroactively feels so much bigger and more important. This is definitely a season that's going to play much better on DVD, I think. Um, well, most TV seasons do play much better on DVD. <laughs> but it's just one of those things where having those gaps between episodes allowed us to sort of second guess and nitpick and, and try and figure out what they were doing. And I still think while they had the right impulse in introducing a bunch of villains to make up for the absence of mags <laughs> – um, there, I, I really do get the sense that there was so much going on that they kind of lost sight of, of their main character. And um, as much as I enjoy all the characters on the show, I, I think it does need to primarily be the story of Raylan Givens to truly be satisfying television. Um, and uh, I, I think there were episodes this season where it, it just sort of barely felt like the story of anybody. It felt like the story of all of these people – and it didn't really have a focus. And I think the season finale retroactively gives it focus that I hope will bear out in future viewings. I, I'm 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 not sure if it will. Yeah, I think even in in the beginning of the season, like not only did we end up with sort of all these bad guys that sort of made it to the end of the season, uh, but there were a couple of of people like the pawn shop owner guy and stuff that were introduced, and he almost seemed like he could be a bit of a formidable adversary there and, and may have had some bigger doings and then boom, he's gone. Like what, like two or three episodes in they introduce him and he's gone. And so there, there was in that opening few episodes, it took a while before you were finally going, okay, this is what's happening sort of a little bit. And then it really does go until the, the finale where you really see what, 
sort of the arc of the season is. Like, you, you couldn't tell halfway through, really. I, I think shows like this definitely play better on sort of the DVD viewing type thing because it's the type of thing that you sit down and start watching and pretty soon you go, wait, I just watched all 13 episodes. Yeah, one of the interesting things that I found about this season, especially in the early half, is that the the episodes that felt kind of entirely or quote-unquote entirely standalone were almost more satisfying than some of the ones that you assumed had to do with the larger kind of narrative arc of the season. And that was kind of obviously a little bit of a difference from especially the first season. But even in season two, the early episodes, they did a really nice job of kind of tying sort of procedural elements with the kind of larger stories with Mags and Dickie and everything. Um, But at the beginning of this season, there was just so many things being introduced and so many new characters that when they kind of focused in on certain things, those episodes felt kind of the best at the time. I don't know how that will play kind of retroactively, Um, but that was sort of an interesting thing. And you mentioned certain stories that kind of, you know, came and went, but I mean, even the, the election story kind of, it felt super important for a while and then sort of didn't. And, you know, it was still sort of part of the last few episodes, but it seemed like that had a lot of importance in the middle of the season. And then it just kind of wasn't that important anymore. Yeah. They shuffled that off stage really quickly. Yeah. Uh, You know, they had, they had things that just seemed like they were going to be the most important thing in the world. And then they would be gone at the end of the episode, like uh, uh, the, the Bennett money, you know, they, they spent a lot of episodes on that. And then it just, it, uh, the ending, I enjoyed where it ended up, but it, it definitely felt like, it definitely felt like they were scrambling to tie up loose ends when they did that. Um, and I, I'm interested uh, – my publication, the AV Club, is running a, a, a four-part interview with Graham Yost, the show's showrunner, about their creative decisions this season. I'm really interested to read that and, and see what he has to say. And you all should be interested too out there in podcast land. That's right. So I think uh, if you haven't been watching Justified, Justified's definitely a, a show that you should uh, find on DVD. And uh, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about The Killing and – one person was talking about how they had watched the whole series on DVD and the other person, you know, had watched it throughout the season week by week. And the thing that was funny about it was he said, we had to stew on these things for like a month or two months of things that were happening that were bothering us. When you watched it on DVD, it bothered you for like a couple hours yeah, because you were already enough episodes passed that, the things that bothered you didn't really – you finally – they made more sense then or or something like that. And so I think shows like Justified uh, sort of work that way, that watching them where you're just sort of watching them you know, a handful of episodes at a time or you watch the whole season over a weekend or something like that, it definitely comes off with a different feel than when you watch it and it leaves you week to week with the, with that story. I think that's really true of all TV, though. I think that binging TV on DVD or Netflix or whatever reduces its flaws. I, I think it just – it makes them seem lesser uh, than when you're watching it week to week. Like I, I watched a whole season of Las Vegas to write a review way back in the day in like uh, three days. And I was like, man, this is kind of a good show. And no, <laughs> it was not. It was not. I think with this season of Justified in particular – um, because of the way the show was kind of developing with all the new characters. And it it just felt, I don't know, I felt detached from the show, whereas last year I was so invested in everything that was happening every week. I think it, that feeling that wasn't there this season kind of only exacerbated 
maybe some of the criticisms of the show that might not necessarily be there when you watch it on DVD when you're kind of just burning through the episodes. Not not that you're not paying attention on DVD, but the that an invo- emotional investment kind of carries you through the six days that the show's not on at times and when there's not that emotional investment there and maybe some of you know there's some structural narrative issues it's easy to kind of point those out in that six day period that the show's not on like last season you wouldn't have had three episodes just sitting on your dvr to finish out the season that's true absolutely not i think i saw every episode live and made a point to it to do so Last season, last season when I got when I would get the screeners from FX, they would be the first thing I would put in. And this year, I, I watched it week to week. Um, and I, I review I reviewed the show for the LA Times. Plug, um, but uh, no, I, I it was definitely one of those situations where last year I watched every episode as soon as I got it, and this year I put it off until Tuesdays. You know when I absolutely had to do it. And that's not to say the show's bad. It's still you know one of the best dramas on TV. It's just. Last year, it was sort of in that rarefied era of some of the best TV seasons ever made, and this season, it was just merely very good. So, mm. But I know a lot of people who disagree with me, so I'm probably <laughs> just wrong on this one. Yeah, and uh, if you have a differing opinion, we always uh, love to hear you. Come to the website and leave, uh, leave your feedback on what you think about these shows. Uh, our next show is Suburgatory, Season 1, Episode 18, Downtime. And uh, start with Todd. I uh, I kind of just want to talk about the show as a whole because I really feel like this show has come into its own. Um, I know that the popular answer of what the best new comedy this year is is New Girl, and I, I there was a time when I thought New Girl was legitimately awful, and I have I now think it's just <laughs> I now think it's like a, a kind of okay show that I enjoy. So so that was it. That was a really nice comeback for them, but. I have thought for most of the season since I gave up on Two Broke Girls that, that Suburgatory is just uh, just the bee's knees. And I, I'm really surprised there's not more praise of it out there. I think it's going to take a lot of people by surprise when it gets to season two because it is really a show that has found its groove and has figured out what it does well. And it's figured out how to make every character and its ensemble absolutely hilarious. And this is the sort of show where when they take a summer off to figure out the storylines that are coming up and what they're going to do with the characters next year, it's just really going to hit this role. And I think it's going to turn into one of the best shows on TV, hands down, because honestly, I already think it's pretty much there. Um, I feel sort of about the back half of season one like I felt about the back half of season one of Community, where it feels like everything has just gelled and they they really know what they're trying to do. And this this last week's episode... Uh, there were just so many great lines and so many great moments, and um, they're getting these terrific performances out of uh, two teenage actresses, uh, Allie Grant and uh, Carly Chaikin. And that, that's not to take away from uh, Jane Levy, who's the leader of the show, but they just have found these really interesting and sort of oddball people to put around the center of the show. And, and this was a show that started out and had some problems and I think it's realized its promise, and I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. And I am I'm hopeful that it is as good as I think it will be. Community was, so I'm always right about these things. <laughs> so is this the point where where people <laughs> destroy you for saying that suburgatory is exactly like Community? They're going to take that all out of context and just say, "Oh, absolutely, absolutely." They're going to be like, "This this show about a girl and her dad. There's nothing to do with Community College." Yeah. Well, community almost doesn't really have anything to do with community college. No, anymore, I know. So. Yeah, suburgatory yeah. is the new community. Todd Vanderwerf. Yes. Um, yes. Send your feedback I- to. <laughs> they know where he is. They'll find him. 
I, I've got to be honest. I have actually not seen the last couple episodes, and that really makes me sad. I tried to catch up. I watched two this morning, um, and I just I've been out of town and traveling. Um, but I, I agree with basically everything Todd said. I think I, I I'm one of those people who really likes New Girl, and I, I understand why other people don't. But I've always had this soft spot for Suburgatory. Even I really really like the pilot um, in a lot of the episodes in the fall, and for whatever reason. I've kind of been hit or miss with it just schedule wise in the spring. And that's really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a really great show. And I think they do some really fun things with, you know, I think people assume that it's super cartoony and kind of super broad and it can be at times. Um, but they find a way again, you know, not to make the direct comparison to community, but kind of like community where, you know, oftentimes at, at the end of the episode, a lot of these things that have happened um, that might seem broad or sort of, out there in some way kind of have an emotional impact and matter to the characters whereas where you can kind of go with it um because you know that it's not just you know kind of broad cartoony comedy just for the sake of doing this kind of obvious suburban parody that i think a lot of people probably assume that the show still is i think that we all know that the reason Corey has has missed so many episodes is because he has a dvr conflict with are you there chelsea um Stop and it. now that are you there chelsea is over I'm back he can, yeah, he's back. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? I love Laura Prebron. <laughs> you mean you didn't you didn't jump on the the best friends forever bandwagon? I watched the I watched the first two on Hulu. That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> no, talking about NBC comedies just makes me think about how they screwed up Bent. Uh, but about Suburgatory, uh, I think you're right. I think they definitely have figured out what it is they're good at. And they've started doing it on a more consistent basis. There, you know, comedies tend to work that way. You, you yeah. know, even uh, even when they're even when they're good or really good in their first episode, they they tend to, as the cast gets better, the writers figure out what the cast is good at, you know, and and start writing for their strengths and and things like that start happening. That it really. It really does take usually a few episodes for you to see uh, what what a show is, is going to be, and I think there is that cartoony nature to things. Uh, you know, sometimes the you know Dallas can be sort of like bigger <laughs> than life and just sort of crazy. Like, who would really think that or whatever? But then you have like a moment in in this last episode where her divorce sort of hits her, and and you see how George is trying to help her through that, you know, based on his experience of, uh, you know, with his, you know, his past relationship. And so it has a definite heart to it that, that that's at the core of it. And the side characters have become a little bit more developed so that they're not just sort of the cartoony character there to deliver a line and then disappear. And the, the relationship with the, you know, her, the two girls, the, the best friend uh, across the street she is giving just a fantastic performance. That character, I think, is probably my favorite on the show. It's because she's a little weird, but then she's so normal compared to how weird her parents are, and then has to, and then all the things that she has to deal with uh, with her family, and then at school as well. That you almost expect her to be even more weird, but just watching her deal with that stuff, she gets some of the best lines on the show. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think um, I have been really pleasantly surprised at just how well acted the show has been. Um, I think Cheryl Hines has been really great all season. Not that she, you know, wasn't great in things before, but I think she just kind of caught me off guard a little bit about with how strong her performance has been. And and Todd mentioned um, the younger actresses, but I mean, I really like Jeremy Sisto in the role as well. Um, You know. Malatudic is does good stuff too. So it it it's been a little surprising to me, kind of how well the cast kind of gelled together, but also just kind of individually the kind of performances that were that people have been giving. Yeah, I I feel like uh, this is just a really strong ensemble all around, and I'm surprised at how deep and how expansive it is. They have so many recurring players. I mean, they obviously have a lot of series regulars, but they have so many recurring players that come in and do a funny joke or two, and then they they pop right back out. Um, and it feels like they've both developed the world of the the suburb of Chat Chatswin and the school that Tessa attends very well. And that's um, world building is one of the most important things to a, a young comedy, and I just. I feel like I feel really enthusiastic about this show, and I feel like uh, you, you could tell from how excited I sound. Um, and and uh, I feel like it, it's just gonna. I think it's gonna. It's really taking off, and people who are interested in watching it uh, should should get on the get on board now um, before everybody else is talking about it, and you feel obligated to catch up. That's right. Get in early, or not quite as late as other people. Yes. Okay. So. The next show on our list is Fringe, Season 4, Episode 18, The Consultant. Uh, so, who's been watching Fringe? I, uh, I am, I didn't, I've not seen, I've not seen this one. I, I have to sit this one out. I was, I was uh, on vacation this weekend, so I have not seen this week's Fringe. I'm sure was, it was amazing. I, uh, this has been, I think as anybody who's watched the show this season, this has been a really weird season for Fringe, and I know, um, that you know, Ryan McGee's been reviewing it and having some issues. Just kind of not only talking about the show, but I think the fan, the fandom has been a little um, aggressive this season. But I've kind of felt a, a lot of kind of the same things that he's felt in that the show they did this thing at the end of last season, the way that they kind of just blew up their show, and I felt like it's never really been totally justified for why they made the decisions that they made. Um, but the last two episodes, um, and I won't spoil anything, Todd, but, uh, (laughs) um, I think they've done a really good job of kind of doing the things that fringe does best in terms of kind of focusing on the characters and their emotions and their relationships with one another. And this is the last two have kind of been, uh, unofficial two-parter in terms of kind of focusing on, um, you know, the alternate universe and kind of what happens there. And it kind of – these last two episodes have felt like the fringe that I kind of really, really loved last season. And I don't know if that's only because they're focusing more on the alternate universe characters, which they've so, sort of sorely discarded for most of this season so that they could focus on new versions of the characters or quasi-new versions of the characters that we already thought we knew. Um, so I don't know if they're sort of finally ra- rounding into form in the way that I want the show to, but I think that – this past week's episode was really strong, and so was the one before that. And that gives me hope for kind of heading into what could be the final few episodes, although I, I imagine there will be a short season next year. But that's neither here nor there. 
You guys could you guys could totally spoil this. I I don't care if I'm spoiled on it. I'm I'm one of those people who doesn't care about spoilers. So okay, uh, good. Tell tell me everything. Tell me that Peter. <laughs> tell me that Peter is now a wildebeest. <laughs> oh, and that ending was no. Uh, I think fringe. I think this season has been really good. I've enjoyed the episodes. Uh, the, a lot of things that are have happened within the episodes and these last three or four. I think when they finally have started more dealing with the overall story and the, you know, and, and what's possibly going on and, you know, Olivia starting to remember and stuff, I still wonder what their end game is of to like, are other people going to start remembering, uh, you right. know, how, how is this uh, going to affect, uh, or are they going to figure out that they need to do something to try and revert it back? Cause it, it would definitely be interesting if, like, everybody in the world starts remembering an alternate version of their life. Like, how do you, you clean that up? But I think they do such good work within these stories that they tell. And like you said, they they did sort of blow things up in, like, they take one character and sort of erase him. And then how do you come back from that? And, and the way that they have is to give, basically give all these characters... A, another chance to play another version of the characters that they've been playing and another version of their alternate characters. And I think it's really become for me the interesting story of the week that they tell and watching these characters perform these roles. I, I really enjoy watching this cast uh, almost more than whatever the overall story is this season. It's really become watching these people play in this world, and I I just I just think the cast is just great. I mean, they, <laughs> I think they're up to you know some of them have played like ten or eleven different versions of themselves at this point. Yeah, Todd, how do you feel about this season and kind of how it's developed or not developed? I'm I am not. I feel like uh, some of the serialized stuff is. Uh, I'm not as gripped by it as I might be. I think the standalone cases are as good as they've ever been. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, it's just a show where I kind of like hanging out with these characters, no matter what version of them they are. Um, I, I was never as in love with it as some. So I don't think I'm as disappointed by it as some are. I, I like, I've always, I've always loved the show, but I've never thought, you know, I've never been so excited to watch it that like, I, 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 you know, lost right. my mind over it. So, um, it's, it's, it's just always been a pleasant way for me to end the week and it remains that. Yeah, I guess I, maybe I, maybe that's part of it is I, I really did enjoy, especially the f- first half dozen episodes last season. And then it kind of started slipping away from me and I really just kind of hated the finale last year. And I just, it feels like on a, like on an individual level, week to week I really like the show and then I kind of step back from it and I'm just always kind of wondering like okay that was good and cool but I'm I'm still not sure kind of why they're even doing kind of what they're doing and obviously they don't have to answer that question but I'm just super curious to see what their answer is other than you know something kind of obvious like you know just that Olivia basically started remembering because you know she did she's Peter's Olivia and like I don't I don't need a super specific kind of scientific answer for why anything happened I just feel like they kind of asked us to go along with 
all these new characters and haven't entirely justified even justified that decision even if individual episodes are super satisfying and i've grown to really like these characters i know that especially this past week's episode was really great for walter because you know being able to go to the alternate universe sort of unsupervised and provide a real kind of rational shoulder to cry on for um you know alternate olivia was a really great moment for him and for John Noble. It just it seems like I know that somebody pointed out a few weeks ago that it's seems like that Walter has been very lucid lately, and I feel like that that's leading somewhere. But I'm curious to see where. And I just I don't know. I'm a little I'm a little wary because Wikipedia tells me that this coming week's episode is all about the observers and the team battling a war in 2036, which just sounds miserable. But. <laughs> See that sound that to me sounds awesome. Like oh, I, no. I hope everybody's riding around on laser guided leopards. I hope it's just like just well, I hope it's just the best. Well that's where Peter went in the finale last year and it seemed like it was gonna be this cool thing and then it was just kind of people talking about stuff and he had a beard and his hair was a little bit grayer. Um and then he went back and then they erased him. So it, it sounds theoretically awesome, but it, at this point, anytime the observers show up, I feel like Peter just stands around and they tell him what he's supposed to do and what he has to do. And Joshua Jackson does the best he can with just kind of a massive monologue, and that's kind of it. Oh, but this is the alternate, alternate 2036. That's true. There, where, could, be, there could be all sorts of crazy stuff. Where the observers have hair and nothing <laughs> as it seems. Oh, no. I have to say I have enjoyed their their trips to the like the little details they've been throwing in about the alternate universe and how there's you know there's no Batman the equivalent yeah, is is the Mantis or something like that and yeah they've always done a fantastic job with the little things like that. I love that I love Walter's thing this week with the uh, he had trouble sleeping and so he makes some quip about that they haven't discovered memory foam in the alternate universe yet. Yeah, and they had no idea what it was. <laughs> and they don't have uh, black boxes in their planes either. Oh, do you guys, I guess, if I can ask a question here, do you think that the show will get renewed because the ratings have been blah? I think I think everything people are worried about getting renewed is going to get renewed. The only one that I have any doubts about is Cougar Town, and I think that's going to get renewed. Um, I just I, – I think, yeah – I think we're going to see a 13-episode fifth season. I just think – I think Warner Brothers will probably give it to Fox for free, you know, just to get those 13 <laughs> episodes produced. And I think Fox will air it in some terrible time slot and the fans will get their conclusion and it will run in perpetuity on some out-of-the-way cable channel. And uh, that, that that seems like just like the perfect ending for Fringe for, in some way, you know? <laughs> that, like, that like it gets 13 episodes for anybody who cares about it and then it will run forever on some channel and there will be some guy you know who just watches it over and over and over and he says, oh man, <laughs> Fringe. It's never been a show it's good, it's Fringe. Yeah, like they can uh, – maybe they can – they can pair it up with whatever channel it is that is always running Firefly just over and over yeah. and over again. Absolutely. No, I, I know. But of course, I know a guy who's like that for Flash Forward. So I, I'm glad that I'm glad that it's a better show. <laughs> I, want, I want to be that guy's best friend. <laughs> because I was loaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there. that's how I feel. I mean, it seems 
it seems almost too perfect that there will have been 87 episodes coming into or at the end of this season. And it just seems like, you know, at this point, you know, obviously there's money involved, but at this point, kind of why not like give them 13 and just call it a day. Um, and it feels like it'll kind of be like how NBC treated Chuck this this season where they might do a couple episodes at once. Yeah, let's air it on Christmas Eve. Who cares? I mean, you know, whoever's watching it. <laughs> well, you know, as as long as they don't leave uh, <laughs> Olivia and Peter sitting on the beach with uh, Olivia trying to remember again. She's going to lose her memory. Yeah. <laughs> It just it reminds me of when Fox aired the final four Arrested Developments against the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics. <laughs> um, it's just you know they're going to air the final like six fringes on Christmas Day, two thousand twelve. <laughs> like you'll be sitting there watching it with your mom. She'll be like, "Now who's that guy?" <laughs> That's the alternate, alternate, alternate version of Royals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, I think Fringe. I think it's. Since it's gone long enough, I think that uh, I kind of think that the networks are in sort of a place these days a little bit that they they won't just kill something off like this that's been on this long that it does have a core fan base because even though it's gotten four seasons, like if you don't give it the ability to give some sort of ultimate closure to this story, then it'll. Even though it, it ran for so many episodes, it'll still become one of the shows that people go, Fox, you know, killed Fringe, you know, like of they course. killed Firefly, yeah. like they killed this. And I, I think that I think networks have become a little bit better at things that have run for a, a period of time of giving them some sort of, of a chance at closure. So I oh, think yeah. that there's a good chance that that Fringe gets, you know, that 13 type of you know episode uh, arc to, to close it out completely. If Firefly debuted today, I think that show would run six, seven seasons. It's just, you know, like yeah. <laughs> people, the way you survive on network TV now is you are a huge hit or you are a show that a really dedicated fan base watches and consumes obsessively. And, you know, the, the, the shows in the middle, like Body of Proof, those are the shows that die because nobody cares about Body of Proof. And there are just not enough people are, are, are going to watch it. Um but yeah, I just I, – I feel like at the same time though, like even when Fringe, Fringe ends after five seasons and 100 episodes, people are still going to say, oh, Fox killed Fringe. Cause <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean people, people are saying that now that like even when they moved it to – when they moved it to Friday, they were – you know, they were already writing, you know, the – writing the show off and saying that Fox killed it. But the fact that like they've they've been pretty supportive of the show. By all rights, it should have died years ago, you know. Yeah. So on to the next show on our list, which is Mad Men, Season 5, Episode 5, Signal 30. And uh, whoever wants to go first, I'm not a Mad Men watcher, so... Go ahead, Todd. I'll let you two uh, have at it. Um, I, I think this has been a really strong week for TV. Um, we're we're going to be talking about Girls in a bit, which I, I which I adore. Um, I thought that was a really strong suburgatory. Um, I love the Justified finale. I love the Game of Thrones there last night. 
I honestly think though that 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 this Mad Men episode might be the best episode that aired last week. It's just uh, one of the best they've ever done, and I just I am a big Pete Campbell fan, so that may be coloring my opinion a little bit. But it was it was just a, a lovely story about Pete Campbell sort of realizing his own self loathing, and uh, you know if if that isn't if that doesn't sound like good television, I don't know what does. Um, but I, I just it was full of the sorts of things that only Mad Men does, the little symbolic gestures and the the moving little moments that that come in the midst of everything else and and wild subtext and uh it just it's such an elegant, well made show and it's it's unlike any other show on TV really and, and attempting to to sort of compare it to other shows always fails, I think, uh for that reason. And I, I'm just I'm glad that that it's airing and it's it's such a nice a nice way to 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 usher in the week on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean this this was definitely a, a really wonderful episode, and I think my favorite of the season. And like you mentioned, Todd, I think one of the best they've ever done. And I am also a big Pete Campbell guy, so I think maybe you know maybe we're both biased, but I think um, it, it felt like I don't know kind of time that we had this episode. I. Um, was talking with some other people, and it seems like you know they've obviously been be, have been giving us hints um, about kind of Pete being dissatisfied with his life, whether it's you know kind of fighting with Roger over clients or kind of mm-hmm. being petulant over the uh, the office space or kind of having this sort of dejected look just by riding on like a dirty train. Um, so it was nice to kind of just get you know to dive headfirst into his misery and his kind of recognition that all these things that he wanted not too, you know, not too long ago he has. And now he's just sort of as miserable, if not more miserable than he was before, because he doesn't really kind of know where to go before. It felt like, you know, he was kind of on the rise and there were these things that he wanted. And now he has all of those things and he just kind of hates his life and doesn't seem to really care about his wife or his kid or really anything at all. Yeah, he's got, he's gotten where he wants to be. And it, he realizes he's just as dissatisfied as he ever was. And that to me is one of the most interesting things you can do with a character is have them realize that their inner drive, their inner goals is, is all you know something that, that they can't ever satiate or something that is inside of them that can't be fixed. And I, I'm interested to see where this goes. Um, I, I feel like we're building to something big with Pete this season. I do not necessarily subscribe to some of the – crazier theories out there about what will happen to him but uh as as a longtime fan of pete campbell and uh and and peggy olsen although she was barely in this episode uh i have been enjoying this season and i especially enjoyed this episode uh cory what do you think of the season so far i think it's been a very strange one <laughs> yeah i strange is a great way to put it um and i think this episode i mean week to week the show can be different but i for me this episode kind of felt like the sh- the version of Mad Men that I really love. I think this season has been really heavy on, you know, dreams and, you know, those kind of things. And I also – it seems to me that this season has had more kind of overt references to the things happening, you know, in in real life around these characters. And I don't know. Maybe it's just because the show has been gone for a while and I don't remember. But does it feel to you that they've been – talking more about kind of real life events happening around them or am I just kind of making that up? 
Oh no, they they definitely are, and I think it's just that this is the point in time where that becomes impossible to ignore. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're if you're a student, especially of the political history of the time, this is the time when the Republican Party uh, sort of began its rise to prominence that uh, we're, we're honestly still living through. Um, uh, based on the backs of people being terrified of, you know, crime and violence. And, and we're seeing with, with Richard Speck and, and Charles Whitman in these two recent episodes that happening. It, it's, you know, people were talking about what was out there in the news and, and the riots and things like that. And I think, honestly, they're still underplaying the amount of stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just – it's harder for them to ignore it. You know, they they could do things in season three like have Don have – some a news report about the I have a dream speech on the radio that he's not even paying attention to, um, and, and this season it's just it's gotten a lot harder for them to do that. And uh, I, I read a piece by Tim Goodman who was saying that he's he gets more and more concerned about the show the more that it confronts what we actually think of as the '60s with air quotes around it. Um, and I I can see that point of view. But I think they're navigating that minefield of having the show still be about the characters but also reflecting what the characters think about the world around them really well. I, I honestly think they're doing it better than they sometimes have in the past. Like I, I still think the Kennedy assassination episode is probably the worst episode they've done. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 I'm glad that I'm not kind of alone in that. And it seems like, as you mentioned, that the way that the world kind of is in 1966, it's kind of impossible for – these characters to just kind of bury their heads in the sand. I mean, obviously the, the season kind of started off with, you know, with the ad and everything that like that with sort of um, the, with the African-American kind of uh, culture there. And so it seems like they've reached a point where they the show can't ignore it, but also the characters within the story kind of can't ignore the world around them. If that's kind of directly um, with African-American protesters, or if it's just even kind of, sitting around gossiping about kind of what's happening in the world and how that impacts them. And I think that's a really interesting thing that I assume, you know, matters in some way. And I'm curious to see kind of how it plays out as the season moves forward. What I think uh, is, is really interesting is that the show moves on from these things fairly quickly. Like they've hired the African-American secretary who, who works outside of Don's office and she is not really, you know, they're not constantly talking about how they have an African-American secretary, which is exactly how things like integration worked. You know, it, it was a big deal right away and then it wasn't and then it was less and less and less of one. And then it just, you know, it was it was the thing that 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 seemed like it had always been there. And um, I, I like the way that they're portraying that societal sweeping change happens on this very personal level and you almost don't notice it when it does. Um, and, and like we're seeing that play out um, right now with things like gay marriage where, where these, you know, it happens and it seems like a big deal and then gradually it isn't such a big deal. And I like the way the show is playing with that. Yeah. You mentioned uh, various theories about Pete. Do, do you mind sharing those? I haven't really – there is there was a lengthy article on salon.com after the premiere that said that Pete Campbell would kill himself this season and they listed all of these points of evidence they thought they saw in the premiere and it does seem you know the fans are very they feel that the show has focused too much on like murder and death this season to not have somebody die hmm. um and i i just i don't know you know i just can't see Pete Campbell pitching himself out of a window but 
there has been a lot of focus on that sort of thing. And especially in the premiere, there was a focus on like our windows don't open or, or whatever. Um, so I, I think, I think it could happen, but I, I also think the, the salon article was trying way too hard to prove, uh, and already arrived at point. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. How did you feel about the way that Don reacted to Pete in last night's episode, but also, I guess in general, just kind of how Dawn has changed. Cause I know that was kind of the bit, I mean, that's obviously the big question of every season, but I think with all the time off and the, the proposal and everything like that, I think people were really curious to see who Dawn was now. And he's obviously not the same person, but he's not kind of overwhelmingly changed, but he's, he seems to be struggling with kind of who he is and where he fits in, in this world. I'm fascinated by how Don Light this season has been, and I know I know a lot of viewers um, are struggling with that. I'm I'm waiting to see where it goes. I think that the show is saying that Don's greatest conflict right now is not necessarily uh, with himself or with another person, but almost with the audience. Like the audience wants Don to go back to being the handsome rapscallion he was in season one. But he's grown and changed and he's learned enough now that he knows that if he is that handsome rapscallion, he's going to ruin a really good thing he has going on with Megan. And um, I, I think that there's an interesting element of uh, – I, I, I want to say an interesting element of conflict in the, the Megan and Don marriage, but it's almost playful. Mm. And it seems like they sort of enjoy that. Like that, like that is a part of their relationship that, that they enjoy. Um, and of course, we do have the conflict of him trying to put his philandering ways behind him clumsily through killing dream symbols. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think, uh, I think by and large, the show wants us to be sort of wondering how we feel about Don and his new guys. It's a very, it's a very Sopranos esque trick to pull. You know that that show would occasionally have periods of time when we were supposed to ask, "Do we still like Tony Soprano when he's like this or when he's like this?" And the answer was almost invariably that the audience wanted him to go back to, you know, just killing people. So um, I think the question here is, do we want Don to be sleeping around or do we want him to be happy? And since it's season five, I suspect the answer will be the former. Yeah, and they've done a really great job of almost every episode putting him in a situation that's sort of generally familiar to something we've seen him in before and have him then act – different and sort of subvert our expectations of how we assume that he would act, whether if it's going, you know, backstage to a Rolling Stones concert and kind of turning into, you know, a dad slash kind of um, almost sociologist kind of doing market research, asking constant questions. And to even last night with, um, you know, when they obviously went to the uh, the whorehouse, I guess, um, you know, continuously putting him in situations where we assume that he's going to just fail or kind of be the flawed version of him that we've grown to expect, but also kind of grown to love. And he's, he seems to be, you know, he seems to kind of have it together, but then obviously last week's episode suggests that maybe he doesn't have it quite together underneath based on kind of what we're seeing on the surface. Sure. So Mad Men, it's uh, still as great as it's, as it's ever been, according to you two. Yes. Why, why do you not watch the program, Jason? Thank you. That's that was my a, <laughs> well, I watched most of the first season and then fell off towards the end of it and fell too far behind that I didn't, I didn't watch it until season two was about ready to start up and I caught up and I started watching season two and I 
fell off again partway into it. And then I did the same thing with season three. <laughs> and about four episodes into season three, I fell off. And when season four started, I just finally went, why do I keep doing this to myself? There's something about the show that I think the the recreation of the times is great. I think the acting is great. Uh, you know, I think the show is is great. It's a great TV show, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't interest me. And I just just finally decided that uh, I I sort of was in that spot where all of a sudden there became this big, you know, long break, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll catch up before season five starts. And then there's just so many other things on that I was just like. Right now, I'm just not interested in this type of TV show. No. I, I mean, I hear, I've heard that from a lot of people. It's more than any other like great TV show, Mad Men seems to turn off almost as many people as it really gets excited about it. So um, I, I certainly don't like judge you for that um, because uh, there, are, there are a lot of people who just can't get into it, and that's cool. I could never get into Six Feet Under, so that's my, that's my TV heresy. <laughs> Okay, so we'll uh, jump to the last show on our list, which is HBO's Girls, Season 1, Episode 1, The Pilots. And uh, since, uh, Todd, you are so in love or smitten with the show, let's uh, start with you. Well, I am. I'm in love with girls. Um, <laughs> I'm in love with girls, but I am now told that that is incorrect, that I am not, and that it is actually terrible. So... <laughs> Um, I appreciate the internet for telling me that. Uh, no, I think Girls is terrific. Uh, I think it got a little overhyped. I think the the backlash to it has been as much from the fact that it is a very small show that can't withstand that much hype. But it, uh, as it is that, you know, people have a lot of preconceived notions about what the show is and what it should be. I have seen the first three episodes. I think that the second episode is among the finest pieces of TV I have seen this season. So if you watch that episode, which airs next Sunday, and you still don't like it, then the show's probably not for you, and that's cool. Um, But I I think the first episode deals with a lot of stuff that people had preconceived notions about going in, um, about, you know, uh, uh, people who come from up the upper classes and uh, things like that. I think the show deals with them well and sort of gets them out of the way so it can tell other stories about these people in their their world. I but I certainly I'm certainly not mm, I cuz some of the response to the show has made me legitimately angry, but I'm certainly not upset by people who watch this and say it's just not for me. I am upset by the people who dismiss it sight unseen. Does that make sense? I I I'm always on board with that when somebody just like dismisses a show based on some clips or or some yeah, or just see, I, or or hearing about who's behind it or who's in it and possibly you know maybe not liking the stuff they've done before or or what have you uh yeah to just throw something off to the side without ever watching it yourself there's too many good there's too many good shows or even great shows that die an early death because people just wouldn't give it a chance wouldn't ever watch it for whatever preconceived notion that they have and then they find out about it later on and they're like, wow, this show was really good. How come nobody told me it was? And you're like, um, everybody told you <laughs> that it was. I feel like uh, this show more than any has that thing where people – there are a lot of people who are just never going to like a show about this specific subset of people. And that that's another thing that, that sort of irks me. Um 
because I feel like if a show is well made enough and if a show is well done enough, it can open you up to have empathy for literally anybody in the world. Um, and I feel like television is skewed way too much toward like anti-hero white guys right now. And mm-hmm. I, I'm so happy that somebody is opening that up, even if it is about like rich white women, which I, I understand apparently is something uh, we shouldn't care about. Corey, do you have any thoughts? Well, before I get to my thoughts, um, why – I guess why do you think there's been such – I mean I guess why was there such hype at the beginning other than it being such a great show? But then why do you think the backlash has been just so strong? Because this has been kind of – I mean I've been kind of in and out of the internet and kind of what's been going on the last few weeks. But the one thing that I've noticed is like people are just kind of really worked up about this show. And I'm curious kind of to hear what you think about why – why this show kind of why so so much of a fervent response i think there's a number of aspects like i I, literally i think the reason the reviews have been so fawning is that it is a terrific show the first three episodes again are all very good and the second episode is amazing and also i think it's such a small show that it's a lot harder to get people interested in it that is something like game of thrones because if you say, oh, here's a really in- really good fantasy series with great production values and a huge cast and it's wonderful and fun, a lot of people are going to be like, sign me up. Um, it's a lot harder to say, here is a show about four people who live in New York City. It's really great because uh, that's just something that people automatically write off. But And I do think some of it is the Lena Dunham factor. She's very young. She's had a very gifted life. She's sort of been handed a lot of things on a silver platter. I think she's very talented. I think she's a very smart writer. I think she's a very uh, fun actress. I think she's a very good director. But you can't say that, you know, she's pulled herself by, up by her bootstraps. She's, she's the child of uh, uh, some, some rich and, and famous people. And that means that she had several steps up over, say, another 25-year-old woman who may write just as good of a show, yet it's never going to get those chances because she's struggling to get by and working at a Dairy Queen in you know, Waterloo, Iowa or something. Um, and I, I, I do think that also it's done a movie, Tiny Furniture is on Criterion, and people have very strong opinions about that movie, even though I think Girls is fairly different from that in a lot of important ways. I, I just think that this arrived with a lot of people assuming it was Tiny Furniture, the series, and Lena Dunham has gotten all of these legs up, and she has not has had to do nothing but pursue her dreams. And so now she's playing a sh- doing a show about a girl who has to work for a living, and I, I can see why people said screw that. Um, I think it's an incredibly short sighted response, and I think they're missing out on the best new show of the year. But I get why they're doing it. Mm. No, I, I mean I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense, and I think at a certain point the positive reviews and the negative reviews kind of come together and it's just this thing that everybody's talking about where it's bigger than the show, especially kind of a niche show like this. I mean, I think I saw a tweet about the ratings today and I think, you know, they said they were solid but not overwhelmingly great and I don't think that this is going to be kind of a massive hit for HBO, but it, it was just, it's really interesting to me that like this show in particular has become kind of, you know, a call to arms for a lot of people on multiple sides of the fence um, but I mean, after watching the pilot today, I, I get why people really love it. I get, I understand why you love it. I really liked it. Um, and I'm super excited to see more, which I mean is obviously kind of just the baseline thing that a pilot is supposed to do. I'm not familiar. I haven't seen tiny furniture. I'm kind of familiar with, you know, Dunham's story and, and her kind of persona and things like that. But I'm very, very intrigued by the show and all of the characters and it has, a really kind of specific voice and I you know 
I, I was surprised at how this is a basic kind of observation, but I was surprised at kind of how serious it was. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was going to be sort of laugh out loud funny all the time, but I really appreciated this sort of gravity of the, of the circumstances, but also the way that the show kind of allowed the characters to be sort of kind of awful people, but not necessarily criticize them entirely, but also not letting them off the hook. It kind of does a really nice job of just letting the characters be who they are and be flawed and not necessarily judge them to a super extent. Yeah. There's this really weird thing going around where I think the people who don't like the show assume that it, uh, it's celebrating. Yeah. Uh, Even people who've seen it assume that it's celebrating these four women. And I don't think it is at all. I think it's saying that they're worthy of our empathy, but I, I don't think it's saying they're necessarily good people. They do some pretty terrible things. And, um, I think that's what makes it a good show is that it recognizes that, you know, these these people can be sort of awful to each other. And um, I realize that doesn't sound like a laugh a minute comedy. Um, I think it's a funny show, but I don't think it's, you know, every second there's a new punchline. And that that's also turning some people off, I imagine. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things for me is uh, this is one of the shows that or HBO is one of the networks that I don't get a chance to see things ahead of time. So by the time I saw the show. Well, I'd stayed away from reading anybody's reviews. I'd still seen, you know, my Twitter stream just full of this is the greatest show. This is the greatest show. Read my review type tweets and stuff like that. And so I had it in my head. Wow. A lot of, you know, critics and, uh, you know, people that I follow think this is this is a great show. So there was it sort of had a high bar already in my in my head. And the second is, is even though I know from previous experience that a half hour show on HBO or Showtime or Stars, while it usually gets lumped in as a comedy is not necessarily always a comedy they just they're more half hour dramedies uh, more more times than not but I, you know you kept hearing comedy and so when I was watching it, I was like, this isn't funny in in places it's really sad. Like, like some of the what's going on, where these characters are in their lives. This is not this is not funny, not in a laugh out ha ha funny. It's you know sort of a sad funny you know odd type of type of thing. And so I came in at more in the I liked it. I found it interesting. I found the sort of the world that was built rather well, rather quickly uh, in the pilot. Uh, to be to be interesting, and we'll definitely check out more episodes. But I didn't come away from the first episode thinking, "Oh my God, that's the best thing I've seen all year," or mm-hmm. this TV season, or or what have you. Sure, I think uh, I think the pilot has a lot of you know typical pilot problems. Um, it's it's sort of straining to set everything up and get everything uh, get the tone in place and all of that. So I, I do think the pilot is easily the least of the three that I've seen. Um, but I think it does a really efficient job of getting all of that done and setting up the characters and things like that. So, so I think it's an effective pilot um, in, in that regard. And, and obviously since both of you are interested in checking out more than it accomplished that. Sure. Um, but I think it is interesting that these cable networks, like their, their brand is essentially that they don't do huge, funny, ha ha comedies. Um, Veep is coming up next week. And that, that is it. That is a very like funny show. Like there's a, there's a lot of jokes and they're hard jokes and they're funny, but um, Showtime, HBO stars, uh, like you said, even like 
FX with Louie, um, these are not shows that are just hilarious. They're shows that are often contemplative. And um, that's, you know, there there's a lot of people who don't want to think when they watch a comedy. They just want to laugh. And I'm not trying to denigrate that at all. But it is it is an interesting choice that these cable networks have made in that regard. Well, I like a little bit of both in my in my comedies. <laughs> yeah. If something's going to be called a comedy, I would like to at least laugh once. You know, so that's... <laughs> sure, sure. Uh you didn't you didn't even laugh at the the awkward sexual encounter cuz I thought that was I thought that was pretty hilarious. Well, there were there were things that but see that's almost it's almost more uncomfortable than funny. Like it didn't sure, yeah. make me go, "Oh, that's hilarious." That was like, "Oh, that's so weird." <laughs> type of, you know, kind of uh it it had a, there were there were a few uh like the a couple of lines in there that I did find funny was like the opening sequence when she's having dinner with her parents and and the mom's trying to get the dad to to say it uh, that they're cutting her off and sure. he's sort of beating around the bush and then she says we're not supporting you anymore and he says well I wasn't going to word it like that <laughs> you know that I I found that line you know there were a few lines in there like that that I did find funny you know that were like I wouldn't have worded it like we're not supporting you anymore <laughs> just yeah yeah. Uh but yeah, there were some there were some good uh there were some good, you know, I could see, you know, definitely in there. There were some things that did make me laugh a little bit, but some of the things that uh, the rest of it were just sort of this is sort of more uncomfortable than you know, like making me squirm than making me laugh. Well, anytime anytime a TV show is that well reviewed, people are going to have strong reactions to the reviews. Um, the only show this season that was better reviewed than Girls was Homeland. And if you'll recall when that show first came out, now that now that like everybody loves Homeland, this seems strange. But when it first came out, people had very strong feelings about how it was just a continuation of 24 and they didn't want to see 24's politics revived and all of this stuff. And, you know, as the season went on, it turned out to be nothing like 24. But when a show like this debuts and all the critics are saying, oh my god, this is amazing, there is that natural reaction to want to say, you can't tell me what to think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I, I have that too, you know, like when I when I hear something is, is just great and I haven't watched my screeners or I don't have a screener or something. So I, I totally understand that. And I guess, I guess I would just ask people who at least found the pilot mildly intriguing to stick around for episode two. And if I think if you don't like episode two, then you probably won't like the show. I've been hearing you know good things about Veep as well, and that coming up here, it looks like HBO is going to have a really solid two-hour block of with Game of Thrones and then Veep and Girls. Oh yeah, I think last night's block was hilarious because you went from Game of Thrones to Eastbound and Down to Girls. <laughs> like I just can't. Who sits and watches those three shows in a row? <laughs> the The one thing that I was kind of thinking about as I watched Girls and just kind of thought about HBO as a, a kind of as a whole it's interesting to me that they've sort of purged their comedies lately and kind of cleaned the slate from basically kind of dude heavy comedies with entourage and hung and even how to make it in america um board to death was kind of out there on an island but i mean and now they've replaced with enlightened and girls and veep and it's really interesting to me that they went from all of these shows kind of about men and you know obvious kind of masculinity tropes to now three shows about women and it, that's curious to me in terms of how hbo is 
you know, either trying to pull in subscribers. I don't know if they found some research that they needed more women or something like that. But that's a really curious kind of shift in comedy. And I guess it kind of mirrors, you know. What's been what Showtime's been doing. Yeah, exactly. It looks like exactly what Showtime has been doing for, you know, five or six years now. So. And also, but what's interesting about that is that their biggest comedy pilot in development stars Ben Stiller and Alan Alda. So, yeah. <laughs> like, they clearly don't have, like, a mandate to do just, yeah. just uh, female shows. Yeah. Well, all right. I think that'll uh, wrap things up for uh, this uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts out there on the, the shows that we talked about. And... Uh, you can jump over to tvtimes3.com slash 131 where you can uh, leave us a comment or send us a voicemail. Or you can always send feedback to feedback at tvtimes3.com. As well as you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at tvtimes3. And uh, thank you both uh, for joining me. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Was, thank you. It was great. And once again, as I mentioned before, uh, same at uh, tvtimes3.com slash 131, I'll have uh, links to uh, where you can find uh, Corey and Todd. And uh, you can also go to tvtimes3.com slash April 2012 to see uh, who we have coming up and who we've had on so far this month uh, for sort of our TV Podcasters Month that uh, we're doing here. The opening and closing music is provided by IODA Promonet. The song is TV Party by the Asylum Street Spankers from their Mercurial title put out by Yellow Dog Records. And that will officially wrap up the we show. We sit glued to the TV set all night and every night. Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright. We got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews.